Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined by a sleepy, uh, sleep-deprived Colby Powell covering the Ryder Cup for uh, Golf Channel or slash NBC Sports. Um, the Ryder Cup's going about as well for the United States as uh, the Oklahoma State football season's going for Mike Gundy and company. Uh, the Ryder Cup is over. We're recording this at noon on Friday. The Ryder Cup is over. Uh, do I still have to work the rest of it? Yes. Yes, this is a complete disaster. I knew Europe was going to win. They always win over there. We, <clears throat> pardon me. We haven't beaten them over there for 30 years. There's a reason, but I did not expect it to go like that. It's just, it it might not be entertaining even for the last few days. Uh, the U.S. is going to have to come out tomorrow and just, what, eight points available tomorrow? Too, so the U.S. is just, they're going to have to get after it. They probably need, I don't know, five of those minimum. Uh, six, really, would make you feel better. I mean, if they go six to two tomorrow, they're still trailing going into singles. It's just a disaster of epic proportions. But Carson, we're kind of getting used to that here on the Pistols firing pod. Yeah, and along with that, Ricky Fowler was one of the worst in the morning. He had, I believe, five putts inside ten feet, three of which would have won holes, and he made none of them. So, yeah. for all the OU friends of mine that give me grief over Ricky Fowler's Ryder Cup record, those texts are. Seemingly probably on their way, if not already sent. I haven't really been checking that, but more misery for all things related to Oklahoma State. But we are appreciative of Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. We appreciate them sponsoring the pod as always. And um, again, if you're in Stillwater, uh, it's a bye week. Uh, If you're in town, you know where to go for your latest and greatest OSU-related needs. Uh, basketball season's not that far away. We're gearing up for that. So get you some uh, OSU hoops gear. We can move on to basketball season a little quicker than normal <laughs> this year, unexpectedly. But uh, that's kind of is what it is. But we appreciate Chris's sponsoring the podcast as always. Well, Colby, it is a bye week. I put out a call for Twitter questions. We'll get to those in a minute. But I did want to kind of reset. So OSU's two and two, uh, bye week, and then they get Kansas State on Friday, October 6th. And Colby kind of surprised me today. News came out today. It's another sellout, which, again, I think is a further testament to how far Oklahoma State has come as a program. Uh, the fan base is you know, still very much behind this team and supportive of this team, but there's just not a whole lot to be supportive of right now. Uh, yeah, there's not, but that's great that it's a sellout, I think, Friday night. Uh, maybe even helps a little bit in that aspect. You can go up. You know that it's not going to be too hot for a night game um, early in October after the bye week kind of gives everybody a reset. I think the bye week came at a really good time. You know, you drop the one at home to South Alabama, you go on the road to Iowa state and you lose um, and, and you really look pretty bad in both of those games. I think the fan base just really needed a week off, just kind of a mental reset and then think, okay, let's go support the team and see what it can look like from here on out. Um, expectations have certainly been lowered, but to see that it was a sellout for Kansas state um, is, is good. Now, how many of those fans are still going to be there after halftime? That is yet to be determined. Um, but, yeah, we'll be there that day. That'll be the first game that we're able to go to this season, uh, myself, my wife, and we'll take our daughter up there. She's a little bit older. Last year she was just a little baby, and she's about a year and a half old now, so she's walking and starting to talk and might get to experience the atmosphere a little bit. So we'll, 
we'll see how she does with the pistols firing and the cannons and everybody cheering. Uh, but yeah, looking, looking forward to going up there. Um, and who knows, maybe you create a great atmosphere again. I, I say it all the time, 19, 20, 21 year olds, uh, weird things happen. It's, it's, it's somewhat predictable, uh, but every so often something shocks us. Yeah, that's true. Um, there's an interesting article on pistols firing kind of going into the defense and the fact they haven't turned very many turnovers this year that, you know, as for all our, our hand wringing over the offense and justifiably so, the defense has not been good. We know about all the busts they had against Iowa State, the busts they've had really throughout the year in the secondary. But they're also not, you know, with this new three three five Colby, it's expected to be, you know, better in coverage, uh, you know, things of that nature. But they only have two through this year. Uh, they have a negative turnover margin. And just to go through the years, they had, at this point last year, they had four. Year before six, four, five, six, seven, nine, nine, six, seven through 2013. So that just kind of shows you that along with the offense not performing, the defense isn't getting turnovers. And as we all know, for Oklahoma State to have success defensively, they have to turn the ball over. Simple as that. And they haven't done that so far. Yeah. I mean, to force turnovers, you have to pressure the quarterback, you have to be tight in coverage, and you have to hit somebody. And Oklahoma State has not been doing any of that the last couple of weeks. Uh, you know, defense was decent those first couple of weeks of the season, but in hindsight, those were really, really bad offenses on the other side that Oklahoma State was playing. Um, and, and yes, second half against Arizona State was great, all that. Uh, but the last two weeks, Oklahoma State was really exposed on that side of the ball. You can't allow quarterbacks to just be comfortable back there. The opposing quarterbacks the last two weeks have been comfortable. The kid from South Alabama, Rocco Beck last week, they were comfortable in the pocket. I mean, you're not getting there. You're not getting any strip sacks. You're not putting any pressure on a guy. He's not going to throw interceptions. Um, and, and then they're not really hitting anybody. I mean, um, receivers are out in open space, making catches with room to run. Uh, you know, they're not getting, they're, they're not making a catch, taking two steps and then getting hit. So all the things that you have to do to force turnovers are things that Oklahoma state isn't doing right now. And, you know, Brian Nardo, he came out and he, he talked about it. Um, too many explosive passes in that Iowa state game. I mean, yeah, that's, I, I don't really know what we can even expect them to say at this point until some of this stuff gets righted. Like they can just point out the obvious the same way that we're all pointing out the obvious. And I'm not, I'm not even ripping Brian Nardo for, for the, the quotes that he gave out um, on whatever it was Tuesday, Wednesday, but uh, there just is nothing that the coaches can say right now. They just have to find a way to fix it, to, to make it better. They're responsible for what goes out there on the field and the product's bad right now. So um, yeah, as, as much as I would love for one of the coaches to give us a great quote that we can really, uh, you know, pin up on the on the board and everybody get excited about. I don't think that that exists right now. And Oklahoma State has to find a way to force some turnovers because like Mike Gundy talked about last week after the game, the margins are very small right now for Oklahoma State because they're not a very good football team. Uh, when you're forcing no turnovers, that just absolutely kills you. Yeah, and I'm I'm hesitant to make any sweeping, drastic, you know, criticisms of, of Brian Nardo because do you, Colby, do you remember when, when Jim Knowles first took over, I was up in the press box and they were playing Tulsa and they were, they were just horrible through his first, you know, several games as defensive coordinator. It took them some time to learn his system. So I, I'm willing to be patient with that. Now the disappointing part of it is they were good enough offensively to, to hang with Iowa state and possibly beat them because Iowa state is not a good offensive football team. And that's what makes it so disappointing, Colby, is that was a missed opportunity because your offense finally had a pulse and you couldn't get any stops. But I'm I'm hesitating making any drastic conclusions about Brian Nardo this this early in his tenure. You feel the same? Yeah, yeah. I'm not making any sweeping conclusions about him. Um, but I do feel like 
he's in an interesting spot where he comes up from a lower level and in year one, he's now kind of thrust into a scenario where if his defense gives up 30 points, that's an L. You just, I mean, it's, it's been nearly a year now. That's an L if you give up 30. He's in a hard spot where he's got a lot of turnover. He's coming in first year in the system, and he has to make it work with very little offensive support. Uh, I mean, you know, it's, a, it's like a pitcher on a bad team that doesn't have run support. You've got to go out, and you know you can give up one. You might be able to give up two. You give up three, you might be putting one in the L columns, like Felix Hernandez back in the day for the Mariners when he had an ERA of 2.2 and his record would be 10 and 12. He'd win the Cy Young. Um, that's kind of what Brian Nardo has to do right now, and that's a lot of pressure, and I just don't know – um, as poorly as this thing's going, if it gets blown up, do, do you reset on both sides of the ball? Do you keep him around? I, I don't know. It's very hard to make a judgment on Brian Nardo. It's year one. It's a lot of new guys. Um, and, and he doesn't have any offensive support to allow for any wiggle room on the defensive side of the ball. But the reality is what happened last week in Iowa state, that's just bad defense. That's bad, bad defense. Uh, that's, I don't know if it's scheme, if it's just execution guys clearly weren't where they needed to be. Um, but yeah, Brian Nardo, I think is in a very weird spot right now. Um, I don't want to say a no win situation, but the only really way Brian Nardo wins this season at Oklahoma state is if his defense goes out and holds a bunch of teams to 20 points. And that's just, that's a big ask. Yeah. And making that matters worse, uh, in the secondary Trey Rucker was charged with DUI. Uh, he was also, um, he played guilty in February of 2021 uh, to similar to DUI. So, uh, some trouble in the secondary there with Trey Rucker on campus. He was coming back from film session and, uh, that just makes the bye week even worse when you're getting guys in the secondary, uh, charge of DUI. So, uh, Mike Gundy plans on commenting on this on his uh, weekly press conference next week, but you know, the hits just keep coming for Oklahoma state football. Uh, the coaches are, uh, OSU football put out a tweet saying the coaches are on the road. They're on the recruiting trail. They put out this tweet, and uh, the comments are not kind, Colby. <laughs> a lot of, uh, go get those two stars, uh, go find an OC while you're out there. Uh, let's see here. It's been out here spending tens of dollars. <laughs> there was one saying, uh, quote, we can't offer you NIL because we don't believe in that here, but come be a cowboy. So fans are um, letting their voices be heard. They're not, they're not really fired up about uh, this tweet about the coaches being on the road recruiting because they definitely need to. Yeah, I've got a buddy I had talked to in a long time. He's an Arkansas fan. Uh, called me this morning. We were talking about college football, and, you know, he was complaining about Arkansas. He's like, you know, we've just been fine for so long. Like, this team's fine. They're going to win, I don't know, six, seven games. I'm tired of just being fine. And then I'm complaining about Oklahoma State. And I told him, I'm like, I'm like, for the first time, probably in since he took over at Oklahoma State, I feel like a majority of the fan base has turned on Mike Gundy. And I understand – Twitter's not real life, 56, 60,000 people, whatever, show up in that stadium. They're not all on Twitter complaining, but it's not just the Twitter people that are complaining. I get texts from random people uh, out of the blue talking about Mike Gundy. What's the contract like? How's, what's the buyout? Does he care anymore? Uh, I've had more people text me about Oklahoma State football this year when it's in the dumpster than I have at any point in the past uh, when things have been on the up, and that's just that's kind of the way it goes. Um, yeah, the recruiting treat, tweet was pretty tough. I, I mean – the recruiting has just been so bad, Carson. What more can we say about it? I, I had a uh, a guy message me, uh, Mylan. His his wife works with my wife. Good guy. Um, he sent me the quarterback recruiting 
since 2015. He said that he, he just was wanting to send it to his group chat. So he went through and, and listed all the quarterbacks to me in a direct message on the X. 2015, you had Kolar. 2016, you had Wood T. 2017, Jelani Woods was your quarterback recruit. 18, you had Spencer. Uh, he was your lifesaver for a while. Costello in 2019. Illingworth in 2020. 2021, in a That was a gap year in Oklahoma State quarterback recruiting. Rangel in 22 and Flores in 23. Um, and, and he even said here, it's amazing this thing didn't implode sooner. And, and he's kind of right. It's amazing this thing didn't implode sooner. Spencer Sanders, I mean, they hit on one of those guys really since 2015. Carson, um, the, the recruiting has just been really, really bad. It's been bad at the most important position. We're seeing that now uh, rear its ugly head. It's been bad. Uh, on the offensive line, we've seen that rear its ugly head time and time again over the past, gosh, I mean, we're we're coming up on a decade now. I mean, Mason Rudolph played behind bad offensive lines. Spencer Sanders played behind bad offensive lines. That's nearly a decade of Oklahoma State football uh, right there up front. So the recruiting, I, I don't think that it gets fixed under the current regime because there's just not enough money to allocate to it. And the guy in charge doesn't seem to value it uh, as highly as his counterparts. So um, I think Oklahoma State's just in a really tough spot right now with recruiting where in this era of modern college football with NIL and the transfer portal, you're going to have guys going out every year. So Mike Gundy, you know, these two, three stars that you keep for four years and then as a senior, they're a really good player. Whenever you have all those seniors, like in, in 21 and in 15 and 11, 17 and 11, whenever you have all those seniors and things come together and you put together a magical season – I don't know that, how that's going to happen whenever you're not keeping guys four years anymore. So I'm, I'm very worried about the recruiting as it relates to Oklahoma State's uh, football future. Well, the recruiting budget has to change. That's one of the things that I think Dr. Shrum and, and Weiberg will have to figure out with Mike Gundy when they sit down and have their, you know, their talks that they're surely going to have after this year because it can't, they, they, this just cannot be sustained. And here's where I have an issue with this notion and it's true notion that OSU just doesn't have the budget for recruiting. That's true. They have one of the lowest. I think part of that is because the emphasis really isn't there from Mike Gundy, but here's where I have an issue with it. Danny Okoye, one of the best players in the state. He goes to a homeschool in Tulsa, just committed to Oklahoma this week. Uh, he's going to be a top 20 player in the country. He's that level of talent, edge rusher, uh, physical freak. His mom, huge OSU fan, wanted him to go to OSU, uh, is an alum, I believe. And OSU was one of the first people to offer him, one of the first schools. And when he committed, he said that he literally hadn't heard from OSU since. And this is what I've said for many, many, many years on this podcast is, for whatever reason, there is a defeatist mentality in recruiting when it comes to Mike Gundy. I think this happened over several years where he'd lose out on a big guy at the last minute to where he didn't want to mess with it. That is completely inexcusable for the head coach at Oklahoma State not to be all over that kid. He's right down the road. Costs you no money to send him texts, to call him. There, there is no excuse for that. And he's sitting there saying he, he likes OSU and wanted to you know hear from him. Didn't hear from him. This is where the, the budget... And, oh, gosh, we're just little Oklahoma State holds zero water with me. And this is another another data point here that Mike Gundy does not do everything in his power to make Oklahoma State as good as they possibly can be on the field. For him, it's all about his own priorities. NIL, not a priority for him. Recruiting budget, which 
should be a priority for him. He gets paid seven and a half million dollars. Could he not allocate some of that to recruiting if he's coming up short? Could he not work with the university to get that budget increased? This is another example of defeatist mentality from Mike Gundy when it comes to recruiting. And that's how you end up with a bunch of two and three stars, Colby, and not able to compete on Saturday. This right here. No, you're not wrong. I, I think a big part of it is Mike Gundy doesn't want to invest so much time in a kid that he's probably got, I don't know, a, a 5% chance of landing. But if you invest all that time in 20 kids and you land one of them, I mean, you just keep doing that and you just keep stacking talent on top of talent. That's what it is to be a college football head coach. To me, personally, I, I would hate that job. Recruiting, doing all this stuff, going all around the country constantly. College football, you can never stop. To be great at it, you can never stop. It is constantly, constantly moving. You have to be a psycho about it. You have to be obsessed. It, if you're casual about it and, and you don't really care, you know, this is kind of what you get. And I think that that's what we've seen from Mike Gundy. He, I don't think he loves recruiting. I think that that's been pretty obvious. Um, you know, NIL, the transfer portal stuff. Yeah, being a college football head coach is hard. It is all-encompassing. It takes everything that you have to build a successful program over and over and over again. And I think a younger Mike Gundy put everything he had into it. And I think that Mike Gundy has gotten a little bit defeatist with NIL. We can't compete with the bigger schools, with the transfer portal. Well, we're just going to be a farm system for the bigger schools. With recruiting, well, we don't have the budget. We're not going to be able to out-recruit Oklahoma and Texas. We do what we can. It, it just it, – defeatist, I think, is a great – word for it and it's gotten us to the position where we're at now where Oklahoma State um I mean you talk about a defeatist mentality South Alabama they looked bigger faster and stronger Iowa State they looked bigger faster and stronger that's a problem Carson that's a very serious problem in Stillwater Oklahoma uh that that isn't the result of just one half of a bad season last year it's a result of a few years of not stacking enough talent deep enough um, and I understand that's really easy for us to sit here and say, but there are coaches all around the country who are obsessed with this and who do it and who get into these recruiting battles knowing that they're going to lose a good number of them. It, it's part of it. You lose recruiting battles, but you take on that challenge because the ones that you win are more impactful than the ones that you lose. Uh, and so many times it seems like Oklahoma State just doesn't even take those battles on. It's, it's very frustrating as a fan. Uh, you know, you see a, a, a five-star kid landing at Texas Tech because they're out there grinding, getting it done. You, you see the kid from Tulsa going to Oklahoma. Like you said, mom's an Oklahoma State fan, said he didn't hear from Oklahoma State. I mean, what's going on there? It's just those things are very, very frustrating uh, pills for fans to swallow. Yeah, and it, it I think he, this extends to – his defeatist mentality with the transfer portal. You look at th this defense we just discussed in the secondary. You got Thomas Harper, who transferred to Notre Dame. He's having an outstanding year there, starting at Notre Dame. Jabbar Muhammad's balling out at Washington. Those are two difference makers on your defense. And by all accounts, Gundy wouldn't even have a conversation with anybody wanting to leave. John Paul Richardson playing a lot at TCU. Another example on the offensive side. So it's it, it goes beyond just recruiting high school kids. And again, if you have a one in five chance of landing Danny Okoye or a player like that every single year, even if you only get them one out of five years, it's worth the effort. It's worth the time. It's worth the commitment because it's it's commitment to your football program winning football games. And so I think this is this, people ask me what well, what's going on at OSU. This is what's going on. They're losing talent and they're not replacing them, especially in the high school ranks. So that that's a that's a huge huge issue uh, with the transfer portal, as well. And I, 
all that said, Colby, like, look, Oklahoma State's not as talented as perhaps you and I thought coming into this year. I also think they've completely mismanaged this season. It's clear now that we go into the bye week that, especially with what we saw with the quarterback decision at Iowa State, with the running back decision with Ollie Gordon uh, and Alan Bowman at quarterback, it's clear to me, Colby, now, with the way they talked about seemingly these non-conference games being preseason, that they thought they could just stroll their way through Central Arkansas, Arizona State, and South Alabama, and then they could play their starting quarterback, and then they could give Ollie Gordon the football. I think, and, I, and as a result, you see Alan Bowman completely on the wrong page with his receivers throughout the game. Uh, you see Ollie Gordon just being a freak uh, when he gets still li- somewhat limited opportunities, and I, I think this has been completely mismanaged by the coaching staff, in addition to the fact that they're just playing out, don't, don't have as much talent as we thought. No, you're absolutely right. And I'm glad that you mentioned Jabbar Muhammad because I was I was really uh, big in the Jabbar Muhammad camp last offseason saying that that's a loss that's going to hurt Oklahoma State. And boy, would you like to have had that guy out there last year? Yeah, the, the quarterback situation, it, it's obvious that it's a mismanagement. And it's not even, it's not hindsight. This isn't a hindsight's 2020 thing. This is all of us sitting here for the first month of the season, the first three weeks of the season, saying, what is going on? I mean, Carson, do you remember the pause that we were doing leading into the season? We're like, yeah, Mike Gundy's talking about the three-quarterback system. I think he's just saying that, getting past the the portal and all this stuff. He's going to have a quarterback. It's probably going to be Bowman. I mean, that was kind of the consensus. Then they come out in week one, they play three quarterbacks. Like, okay, it's week one, Central Arkansas. Then they did it again. And then they did it again. And we're all sitting here just – dumbfounded at what we're watching uh, on that side of the ball. So, you know, I think a lot of times we we do go captain hindsight, and I don't just mean me and you. I mean sports fans as a whole. Once we see how things play out, uh, then we rip decisions and things of that nature. This decision was being pretty roundly ripped as it was taking place. Um, it just seemed like everybody could see that this wasn't good except for the guy making the decision. And now they come out of September 2-2, two and two, and Carson – this schedule moving forward, like some of these newcomers to the Big 12 are just better than uh, than we thought that they were going to be. Oklahoma looks like a really good team this year. You, you you miss out on a bunch of the Texas schools, but now you've got Kansas State. They're 3-1. and one. Kansas, 4-0. and oh. Kansas is going to put up so many points against Oklahoma State. You're at a 3-1 and one West Virginia team that looks to be a little bit improved. Got a nice win uh, against what is admittedly a bad Pittsburgh team, but that's a rivalry game. Uh, Cincinnati. Good, good defensive line. That's going to be tough for Oklahoma State. OU at UCF, and then your final two games against Houston and BYU. Uh, neither of those very good football teams. But, um, yeah, I think Oklahoma State and Houston are at a race to the bottom right now in this conference. And I think part of that is because you come out of September 2-2 two and two when you should have been 4-0. and oh. If this thing had been properly managed, maybe you would be. I see one win there remaining. How many wins you got remaining? I, um, I, I think they can beat I, Houston. I can't pinpoint the two, but I do think that they're going to win two and go four and eight. Uh, again, I just think it's college oh football and teams have good days, teams have bad days. I can't sit here and say, oh, yeah, they're going to go to Morgantown and win. But they could go to Morgantown and win. They could beat Cincinnati at home. They could beat Houston. They could beat BYU. That's four winnable games I tossed out there. They'll, they'll win a couple of those. I, I think it's a, a two and uh, – what is that? Two and seven conference season, which would result in a four and eight year, and that would just be a, a complete, utter and abject failure. Yeah, no, I, it's not pretty. I, I, I tend to agree with you, though. I, two's probably the – that's probably the ceiling for me. I don't know about four, but, yeah, that, that sounds about right to me. Uh, you ready to do a Toast of the Week presented by Yingling? 
Uh, yes, I am. I've got mine. It's not football. I've got mine. Okay. Well, this this segment is brought to you by Yingling. Pick up your nearest uh, or the best and latest, greatest beer from Yingling. Uh, they have a great tool on their website where you can find wherever it's sold nearest you. You can type in your your zip code. You can get the traditional lager, which is my favorite. I'm I'm pretty standard, Colby. I like the, just the traditional. Some people could go with the uh, the golden pilsner, the black and tan. They could go with the 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 uh, bongo fizz, which is more of a mango. A lot of people like the mango beers these days. And uh, it almost is time for Oktoberfest, so you can get the Oktoberfest as well from Yingling. And again, you can go to their website, find your nearest location where it is sold, and again, drink responsibly. And we appreciate Yingling sponsoring the podcast. Uh, I've enjoyed a Yingling over the past weekend, so I'm going to be doing that again this weekend. Colby, who's your uh, toast of the week for? Uh, Yeah, I needed one in the middle of the night whenever I was watching my toast of the week. Man, Victor Hovland is so unbelievable, Carson. He is unbelievable. Believable. He's so fun. He's jovial. He just flushes everything. And now, now, Carson, everyone should be very scared of Victor Hovland because he has turned into a seriously confident chipper and pitcher of the golf ball. He goes out on the first hole today at the Ryder Cup, and, and the ball, Ludwig Aberg, gets alternate shot, hits him over there. It's a tough spot. Back, friend, back right fringe to a back left flag. You've got to come up over a mound. The ball was like... They have a very minute fringe cut, but the ball was almost just on the green tight lie, and he just takes a wedge, tosses it up on the slope, rolls it down right in the center of the hole. You know, that's how he starts his day at the Ryder Cup, and how does he end his day at the Ryder Cup? He stands over a 25-footer, up and over a ridge, uphill, downhill, double breaker, and he pours it right in the heart with not a single revolution left to spare just falls over the front edge to claim a half point for Europe and not lose that match. Victor Hovland since August has been the hottest golfer in the world. And he kept it rolling today at the Ryder cup. Uh, it hurts me that this thing isn't competitive and that the U S is getting their brains beat in, but watching Victor Hovland is just, it is such a pleasure. Uh, and the fact that that guy is, is an Oklahoma state guy still lives in Stillwater, still reps the brand. I just love me some Victor Hovland, man. So uh, toast of the week goes to Vic. Uh, I don't think his highlights for the week are done. No, that was a good one. That's probably where I was going to go, but instead I'll go, uh, I'll give a toast of the week to uh, one of our loyal followers, Brian Metcalf. He has another DEA update, the Dunn era average. Game four was 409 yards. The game four DEA is 440 yards. That's a difference of negative 31 yards. Overall, DEA was at 409 yards and it remains at 409 yards after updating. Bonus. The FBS rank went from 121 to 110 in total offense. So they got a little jump there. They're up to 110 in total offense. But thank you to Brian Metcalf. Toast to you, good sir. Uh, loyal fan, still charting the done era average, and we appreciate it. So if they jump 11 spots a week and they've got eight games left, that's 88 <laughs> spots. This could be a top 25 offense in the country by the end of the season, Carson. How's that glass half full take for you? How many yards do you think they're going to have against Oklahoma? Oh, boy. 150? 125? It could be the football equivalent of what I watched in Europe this morning. It 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 might be. Um, it's it's not going to be pretty, and I think they're going to fare even worse on the road, so uh, besides OU. So that's that's kind of where we're at. Okay, you ready for uh, Twitter questions? Uh, yes, I'm as ready as I'm going to be for Twitter questions. Let's do it. What other team? This is from Flash Ryan Flaspolar. What other teams are you rooting for in the Big Twelve this year? Since OSU is terrible, that's kind of an interesting question. 
Um, I would probably lean newcomers, you know, just first year in the conference. Um, don't have any beef with Cincinnati, UCF, BYU. Um, Houston's kind of a lost cause. Uh, but yeah, I would probably say the newcomers, teams that were already in the conference. Um, I know it's Oklahoma State's opponent next week. They've been close games, but never really have had beef with, with Kansas State. They've had a nice program. They've been easy to root for uh, over the years. So I'd say a, 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 a classic would be Kansas State, and then I'll, I'll toss in the newcomers. Yep, I'm going K State. I have no quarrel with them. Uh, they're a good fan base. They're very. I just have a. I just kind of have a kinship with Kansas State. And if OSU is not playing for the title, I just assume Kansas State does because they're not one of the blue bloods like OU and Texas. And uh, I don't hear any complaints about NIL and recruiting budgets uh, up north in Manhattan. They just keep winning football games. So miss me with the. Oh, we just don't have the budget. We just can't recruit. No NIL. Kansas State's doing just fine. So that's that's probably who I'll root for. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, Evan McDaniel asks, how does it feel to know we've been in the red zone less times than Northwestern, who, by the way, had to fire their coach in a huge scandal right before the season started? I'll, I'll let you handle that one, Carson. How does that make you feel? Uh, it stinks. It's not great. It makes me feel horrible about myself, actually. Um, but it... It doesn't really surprise me based on what we've watched. I mean, who who hasn't been in the red zone more often than than Oklahoma State? I mean, I did think it was interesting though. I think Cody Nagel put out the statistics that uh, Oklahoma State's only one of six Power Five teams with a perfect red zone percentage uh, this season. So when they get there, they've they've scored touchdowns on nine of eleven trips. They just haven't been able to get there, Colby. So there's I don't know a, a little bit of positive there. Stat. I don't know if that's a good stat or a terrible stat. I really, I don't know. I think it falls uh, probably somewhere in the middle. I'll say this though: if conferences continue to realign, I think Oklahoma State now meets the criteria to join the Big Ten. So, uh, could have some extra dollars coming our way in the future. Maybe they're maybe they're looking more appealing to the Big Ten these days. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's a long play. Maybe Mike Gundy's playing chess and he stops scoring points so that we can get into the Big Ten. Yeah, that's that's definitely what it appears to be. Uh, let's see here. <laughs> this is from Cowboy Sports fan. Do you think someone like Brandon Whedon could help this offense score more than 35 points per game, or is the play calling that bad? Uh, Brandon Whedon playing quarterback? Yes. Yes, I think Brandon Whedon uh, would elevate this offense in a significant way. Um, That's a fun hypothetical. It it just makes me reminisce on good times and be super sad about the present. I'm going to say no. I I don't think the offensive line is good enough to protect him, first and foremost. I also don't think they can run the football worth a lick. That's the thing that, you know, Brandon really had the advantage of having the best offensive line in the Big 12 and perhaps the best running attack in the Big 12 with, you know, Jeremy Smith, uh, Joe Randall, those guys. So I, I would say no. That's how far the program's fallen. I think even if they had Brandon, they wouldn't be scoring 35 a game. Yeah, that's fair. I think maybe he could drop back and just throw 60 missiles out there and, and see what happens. But uh, definitely a fair take. Tyler Beats says, football sad. What's in the golf bag? Ryder Cup picks. Um, Ryder Cup pick, I, I'm going to go out on a limb, Carson. I'm going to take Europe. Yeah, I was picking the U.S. before. I'm obviously wrong on that, just like I was wrong on OSU football. You thought they were going to break the 30-year streak? The 30-year streak may never end, Carson. Yeah, well, now I definitely think it won't end. So, no, I, I thought they had the better team. I uh, thought they had uh, some good pairings, especially in day one, and they went 0-4. So, what do I know? What's so, in the golf uh, bag, Carson? Lead us off. Okay, uh, let's go putter through irons and the, the big sticks. Uh, putter, Scotty Cameron Newport. And yes, I do have the uh, the three dots painted uh, with orange. Got my name and birthday put on it. Nice. Thanks to uh, Jay Matthews. Does stamps by Jay if you ever want your club stamped. Not sure if he's doing it currently, but 
Stamps by Jay if you want uh, some club stamping. Uh, I've tried to vacillate. I used to have the spider before that. I know you, you've had the spider for a long time, Colby, but I just make more putts with the Scotty. So I got to stick with the Scotty Cameron. Uh, wedges, uh, I've had Titleist Vokies my whole golfing life, but I just switched to the... Uh, uh, oh, I just The name just escaped me. The, um, you forgot your wedges? You need to play well, I don't golf. have my I don't have my back. Well, I haven't played in a while. I've got the the God, what is it? I'm sorry. Callaway. This is incredible. This is, is it the Jaws? Do you have the Jaws? Yes, yeah. I kept trying to say raw instead of Jaws. So that, that's what got me. I, I just got a new envision, I love to envision a non-golfer sitting in their car listening to this, thinking, what the hell are they talking about? I've got a Jaws wedge that I've that I just bought in the last six months, but I haven't played it hardly at all. That's that's why I can't think of the name. Uh, so Vokey wedges, uh, two of those, and then one, one jaws wedge. And then my irons are my trusty irons. I used to, when I first got into golf, Colby, I had these Titleist AP2s that Spieth was playing when he was burning down the world. And I was just not good enough to play those. They were practically blades. I did it perfect, but I went and got fit and I got the TaylorMade P790s. I also filled in orange paint on those. Looks slick. Uh, my distance, I used to have to hit two more clubs than my, my friends. Now I can hit the same clubs as them. They've been just a godsend for my golf game. So I swear by the uh, tailor-made P790 irons. Um, I I go with the uh, the three hybrid. Uh, that's my, my next longest club. I used to carry a five wood. I, I probably should go back to that, but I've been carrying the, the tailor-made M4. Had that for a long time. It's pretty trusty. Know what it's going to do. Uh, stick with that. I got the Callaway Epic Flash 3-Wood. I will never give this club up until it breaks. <laughs> it's more reliable than, you know, I, Colby, when I was first getting better at golf, the 3-Wood was my most challenging club off the deck. Now it's like my favorite. And I think that that club's been a big reason for that. So I love that club. And then um, I have a, I, I might be going over the club limit here, but I, I still carry the, um, the uh oh god i haven't I, this is a clear case of me not having played golf in a while the tailor-made driving iron uh the gapper uh yeah uh, i still have the gapper that's great in match play you can just hit a driving iron out there in the fairway i don't hit it that great or that far but it's it's reliable and then my favorite club probably the, is the tailor-made sim 2 uh again i've picked up 30 yards with that i'll hit that thing and I, the key thing for me though colby is i got the the uh the black Ventus shaft you see Rory and all those guys play that same shaft I I, I splurged and got that shaft too for a little extra whip so that's uh that's what I play there and I also use the uh, I've gone back to the triple track golf ball from Callaway I I've always struggled with alignment when I I can align it just fine until I stand over it then the line kind of looks a little off and the the triple track helps me stay on track and I've had good success with that lately so that's that's what I got in the bag. Sorry for my uh, my brain malfunction there. No, I love uh, I love some good shaft whip talk on a Friday. I'm uh, mine's a little more uniform. I'm Callaway Rogue driver, Callaway Rogue irons through the bag, uh, four through pitching wedge. I've got Callaway Jaws wedges that I've had for a while. Um, I've got a Callaway utility club that's a two iron. It's an eighteen degree iron, and then I have a uh, Titleist little tink tink. Well, Tink Tink, yeah, Tink Tink doesn't get as much run uh, because I replaced my three wood with a one iron that I can just kind of hit missiles out there with. Um, carries about two, I don't know, 220, 230, and then runs. Um, so, yeah, I, I love that club. Uh, and, Carson, I told you last week that I'd switched putters, that I'd taken the spider out of the bag after a decade. It's timeout lasted all of seven 
holes, Carson. As no. as golfers, if you're out there, you're listening, and you're not a golfer. We are a little bit mental. We're head cases sometimes. We think switching one thing is going to solve everything. And I've been very consistent with my putter. I've used the same grip. I've used the same putter since the summer of 2014 when I switched to a TaylorMade Spider and the claw grip. And last week, you know, I'd, I'd had some bad rounds. I haven't putted great this summer. I was like, you know what? I'm going to switch. I'm going to switch to an inch shorter putter, a blade. I'm going to go left-hand low. Uh, went out with with the fam the other night to Hefner South. Uh, me, my wife, my sister, her husband, uh, the two little girls out there running around having a great time. And when I tell you that I had no idea where this thing was coming off the face, I had to switch back. Uh, and after it's time out, <laughs> the spider seems to be, uh, it seems to be, you know, behaving itself a little bit better. So the spider is back in the bag. I've apologized to it for putting it in, in timeout, uh, but sometimes it's necessary. So we're, we're back on good terms. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I still I still bring the spider and leave it in the truck. If I need to if I need to grab it at the turn, it's it's still there. That's how much confidence I have in putting right now. So I don't oh, I don't hate fantastic. that. And for that's the listeners, little, little tink tinks that little two iron or I say little it's the it's the two iron driving iron you would hit, and you would just wear people out in matches just hitting that off the tee, and it just makes this little like tink sound when you hit it. So that that's the genesis of little tink tink. My goal in match play is to be annoying. Um, and I think I'm, I'm pretty good at being annoying in match play. Cause you look at me, I'm not an intimidating presence. I'm like five, eight, 140 pounds. Uh, I've got an upright kind of homemade golf swing. I putt with the claw and I just tink, tink this little two iron out there all day long. I'll make 15 pars of birdie and two bogeys and I'll, I'll win a match play. Um, it, it's a lot of fun. We, you and I had a couple matches back in the day, whenever you were out at the greens, we had one that came down to 18 that we tried to, uh, out mistake each other late in the match. And I, I think I ended up one one high on that day, but there were there were multiples. Yeah, I think you won. You hit some ridiculous on three, like some ridiculous fade around the trees to like ten feet or so. It was like the best shot you've ever hit in your life. And of course it had to come against me. <laughs> I don't I don't even know if you remember that shot, but I sure do. I don't remember that. I remember the wedge on eighteen because I said, you know, I try to be annoying in match play. Um and I remember I was like one up going into 18 and I had a 50 yard wedge that I couldn't stop, but there was a big, big slope behind the hole. So I threw this wedge like 30 feet past the hole and it rolled down this slope to like three feet. And I just saw your head <laughs> drop and I'm like that, that's the good stuff in match play. Yeah. You got me on that one. So, uh, any more Twitter questions? I think we pretty much got to the best of them. Um, one idea one more in here, but I scrolled away from it. So, uh, talk did about a, yourself as I, as I find it. I did have an idea. I think I saw someone complaining about pokes with a purpose. Uh, you know, people not donating. Shouldn't Oklahoma state and Chad Weiberg, when you buy season tickets, just part of the ticket package is like a $10 donation to NIL. I, I'd even go, I'd go higher, but I think, would any fan throw a fit about that? And that's what, 60,000 people? I mean, uh, what's I mean, wrong yeah, with that? If, yeah, let, let's call it 50,000 people for a, a nice round half million dollars. I mean, if, if 50,000 people are tacking on an extra 10 bucks, that's a half million dollars. I mean, that seems like an easy way to do it. I don't actually know um, the rules on that. Is the university allowed to, to institute something like uh, that? Maybe not. Maybe I, mean, I don't just... know. It kind of seems like the wild, wild west just uh, – do it and then don't cooperate whenever the NCAA calls. That's the key. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess th there's probably rules prohibiting that, but I don't know. Couldn't you just, I mean, it's an NIL program run by the university. I, I don't know. Surely there's ways to do that, but I don't know. It's just a thought I had. 
Yeah, here's the uh, question I wanted to get to from Jeff Castle. Uh, he said he loved the transfer check-in article on PFB. Uh, it was good to see how those guys are doing. Do you think the transfers in are greater than the transfers out? He says, my take, offensively, new guys greater than the transfers out. Defensively, it would be great to still have Muhammad, Cobb, and Harper. Um, I, I just I think the loss of Spencer is so big on the offensive side that it, it outweighs um, – whatever you brought in. And then I think John Paul Richardson was a big loss too. So, uh, and then, yeah, defensively Muhammad Cobb and Harper, like that, those are just, those are just massive, massive losses. So um, I would say so far four games in, I, I would definitely say transfers out uh, more impactful than transfers in significantly on defense. And I would, I'm, I'm with you. Like, I think they're discounting Spencer Sanders here <laughs> with the way the offense rolled with him, with the same issues they've had on the offensive line. If you've forgotten, please go listen to our uh, pod from earlier in the week that we recorded this past Sunday after the Iowa State game. Uh, we took kind of a deep dive into Spencer Sanders, what he accomplished here, and what the offense has looked like with and without him over the past several years. Yeah, and I but I would say Dejon Stribling's the real deal. That was a great get by the staff. Uh, that's worthy of praise. Him getting hurt, I thought, had a big effect in the South Alabama game. So they have had some positive ads. I think Elijah Collins is a serviceable back. I, I still really like when I – what limited carries he's had. I think he's done pretty well. He's averaging four yards per carry on 25 carries for 102 yards. Uh, but no, you can't overcome the, the Spencer loss and um, just the accumulation. I think offense and defense, they're worse for sure. Carson, we've got breaking news from the Associated Press here, and this is not where I expected the podcast to end up today, but this is where we're at. Breaking as of an hour ago, Las Vegas police have made an arrest in the 1996 drive-by shooting of hip-hop icon Tupac Shakur. I verified that it was the real AP. They found Nin him. It took, what was that, 27 years? Like, how? What? They got him. <laughs> no way. It's 1996. How are they, they got him. I'm surprised I mean, they're even. AP. I mean, well. I, 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 I checked it. This is, this is legit. They, uh, yeah, look, Google Tupac Shakur. All the stories are here. They got him. Uh, there's a friend of mine who still believes that Tupac's alive, living on an island somewhere, which, oh, again, boy. in 2023, that just simply, the word would have gotten out by now. But oh, uh, Well, if so, he needs to speak up because they're about to put somebody in prison for his murder. That was a big event in my childhood, so hopefully they've they've caught the guy. I, I'm dubious that this is the guy. Uh, maybe he had a role in it, but hey, that's that's good news for justice. How about that? Yeah. That's I'm shocked wild, by that. 1996? A 27-year investigation? I was... I was too young to remember going through it live, but obviously I've, I've heard everything about it. I know the story and everything, and I knew that, you know, there was never anybody uh, anybody caught. So when that came across, I was like, yep, this is where we're taking the pod. This is a Friday. It's a bye week. <laughs> we're going to Tupac. And the guy's still living in Las Vegas? Like, don't Apparently, you, after 27 years, flee the scene? Um, yeah, it says he's been known to investigators, and he's admitted himself in interviews and in his 2019 mem memoir that he was in the Cadillac from which the gunfire erupted. Uh, but I guess he wasn't the suspect for, for the shooting, and now he is? I don't know. This, this is wild. Well, I hope he sold a lot of memoirs because it sounds like he's going to prison. But Yeah, no doubt. That's wild. Um, Carson, anything else? U.S. have any chance to make this thing competitive? No, they don't. It's over. We can go about our weekends peacefully. Uh, I just hope Ricky gets less halves, less losses, and more points. Cause I don't, do you think he's going to play tomorrow? I, I don't know how you could play him before singles or like, yeah, sorry, people. I bad. love Ricky. He was bad this morning. I, I don't think Ricky should play again before singles. Sam Burns shouldn't play again before singles. Uh, I'm not even sure that Morikawa should play again before singles. It's um, 
I mean, you've kind of got your core. Spieth was really bad this afternoon, but he's still Spieth. I, I don't know. I, I don't think that there are a ton of right answers for Zach Johnson. Um, also, it wasn't just the USA being bad. I mean, John Rahm chipped in three times, uh, hit the pin on a par three. Like, Europe was rolling in putts from everywhere. Like, it, it's just a perfect culmination of the U.S. Uh, being really bad and Europe playing just out of their minds. And that leads you to a beatdown of epic proportions. But U.S. set the record two years ago, 19-9, to nine, Carson. So you've got to protect the record. Don't go out and lose 19-and-a-half to 8-and-a-half. Well, when, you're, when your uh, captain is an Iowa Hawkeyes fan, I don't count on scoring many points. So that, that's on Zach Johnson, too. Like this course, it's what's clearly been shown through day one is that driving of the golf ball is paramount. And one of the best drivers in the world is sitting at home for the United States, qualified ninth in points, and that's Cameron Young. I mean, we all we all knew he fit this course to a T. They leave him at home, uh, take Sam Burns, Scotty Scheffler's buddy, gets drubbed. Uh, just terrible, terrible captaincy so far from, from Zach Johnson. Didn't like the pairings he threw out in the first session. Liked the second session even less. Um, just Europe has better captains on top of just playing better. So I'm not confident in the Iowa Hawkeyes scoring points on the weekend, just like I'm not most weekends. Yeah, it's almost like Zach overthought it. Um, yeah, it's going very poorly for the Americans. We appreciate all the Twitter questions. We appreciate everyone listening. As always, we'll be back next week as Oklahoma State takes on Kansas State. Uh, we'll get a pod out a little bit earlier in the week since it's a Friday game. Uh, I hope everybody has a great weekend. Thanks for listening, as always. Go Pokes!